0: I'm happy to tell you that the Sheila Stories full collection is now available as a novel on Amazon. To find the book, go to your Amazon marketplace and type The Sheila Stories by Patrick Kelly into the search bar. Welcome to The Sheila Stories which relate the life of an Australian woman in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. I'm Pat Kelly, your host and storyteller. Now, to get everyone back up to speed, in our last episode, we heard the tragic story, Battle of the Beaches, in which Sheila received news that her husband Colin was killed in action in New Guinea. At the end of the story, Captain Whitworth, Sheila's superior officer, is concerned about Sheila's state of mind and sends her home to Sydney to deal with her grief. Now, today's story is titled, Home. And in this story, Sheila will meet a soldier from Colin's fighting unit, the 18th Brigade. And he will relay to her the story of how Colin was killed fighting on the beach of New Guinea. home. The doorbell rang. Sheila ignored it. It was probably a neighbor borrowing something for a cake or a door-to-door salesman. Nothing to do with her. Her mother, Mary, would handle it. She rested on top of the bedspread in her room reading The Great Gatsby, her back against the headboard and her legs turned to the side. Who knew New York was so crazy in the 20s? A cockatoo screeched from a branch outside her window. She had read a lot since coming home the previous month. For the first two weeks, she had seldom left her room, chomping up and down the stairs at meal times, eating a little and sleeping. She slept most of the day and all night, as if she were recuperating from a severe illness. Her parents seemed content to have her at home doing nothing. She had wanted to help her mother around the house, but every time she tried, her arms and legs felt too heavy. She could barely summon the energy to get dressed. Mary had suggested she try reading. It'll take your mind off, distract you. Reading had helped. She had immersed herself in fiction, the characters, the plot lines, allowed herself to imagine other times and places to take part in other adventures. So long as she lived in fictional settings, she could manage. But if she stopped to think about where she was in her life, she grew paralyzed with indecision. What was she supposed to do now? She'd had her whole life planned. After the war, she and Colin would have built the dream house above the valley. They would have had children and overseen the growing business. Tom and his family would have managed day-to-day operations and taken their share of the profit, while she and Colin managed the expansion process. On occasion, she would have snuck away to their cottage in Surfer's Paradise to teach kids to surf. But those plans had vanished with a telegram. What was she supposed to do now? She'd received a letter from Norma with news of Tamworth. Captain Whitworth had said she could extend the leave another month. Longer if necessary. More drivers had arrived from training camp, so they had plenty. They missed her, of course, but they weren't strapped. Sheila had little desire to return to Tamworth if they didn't need her. At the same time, she couldn't stay at home forever. Every time she tried to sort the question, she grew tired. She closed the book and peered out the window, thinking the sunlight might drive away her drowsiness. But instead, her eyelids turned gummy. She leaned to the side, placed her head on a pillow, and began to drift off. But then footsteps on the stairs startled her. She blinked her eyes open. Mary appeared in the doorway. There's someone here to see you, she said. A soldier. A soldier? asked Sheila. He's from Collins Unit. Sheila bolted upright, the nap forgotten. Her heart raced. It's fine, said her mother. He's a nice boy. Name's Bart Talbot. Colin mentioned him on our honeymoon, Sheila said. They were friends. She stood, pressed her skirt with her hands, and took a deep breath. Brush your hair, her mother said. He'll wait. He was tall, well over six feet, and thin. When Sheila walked into the room, he stood with his hat in his hands, his fingers nervously tracing the edges. His khaki uniform was clean and pressed. She shook his hand. Sit down, please. I'm glad you've come. I got lucky, he said. They sent some of us back for a break after the beaches campaign. I just arrived in Sydney this morning. And you came to see me, she said. He pulled his shoulders back and dipped his head as if visiting her was naturally at the top of his agenda. Where are you from, she asked. Brisbane. But you came here? He rubbed his hands together, and the calluses on his fingers made a rough noise against his palms. I had to, he said. I had to see you. Bart was younger than Colin, not much over twenty, but his eyes seemed older. They stared at her, so intense, as if searching for something specific. He had known Colin in ways she never could. He had trained with him. Eaten lousy food in faraway places. Told jokes in defiance of fear. And fought. Killed the enemy. Watched friends die. Had he watched Colin die? They talked of other things for a while. His family, the war, and the presence of Americans on Australian soil. She offered him food. He declined, saying he'd stuffed himself at breakfast. She twisted a handkerchief her chest tightening. What can you tell me, she said, about how he died. He shifted in the chair and turned a ring on his finger. I was there. I was with him that day. Tell me, she said. I want to hear it. He took a deep breath and turned his head, as if not sure what to say, although he must have realized their conversation would come to this. Then he nodded. Her fingers scratched the skin on the back of her hands. She could hardly breathe. We walked in the tall grass close to the beach. I could hear waves crashing. Our orders were to tighten the noose around them. We had fought for days and days. I lost track of the casualties. We were sick, most of us. Malaria. The bad ones had to go back. Colin never got it. Bart smiled. He wore those long sleeves all the time, seemed like, except when we fought. He said mosquitoes were smart. They would hide when the bullets came around. Bart's eyelid twitched at the corner, and he reached to calm it. It rained and rained. So much mud. We never knew where they were. We'd move up fifty or a hundred feet with no resistance. And then we'd run into a machine gun nest, withering fire. Everything slowed down, her breathing and her heartbeat. She saw and heard only Bart. We spotted two nests in the grass ahead. The lieutenant sent men to the right to take them out with grenades. Our job was to keep the Japs busy in the meantime. Fire and duck, fire and duck. We'd done it before. We knew exactly how it should go. Bart's head bobbed nervously. Sort of a yes, sort of a no as if the operation had kind of worked, but not really worked. We never saw the crew on the far left, and then they opened fire. We dove for cover, but they were above us. The bullets. The sound was overwhelming, so loud. Mud kicked at me as the bullets hit nearby. I lay as flat as possible, wiggling at the mud with my knees and hands, trying to get lower, to dig lower, to somehow get clear of the fire. I knew our guys would go left and blow them up, but it would take a few minutes. The Jap gunner swung the other way, still firing. I stayed down. He reloaded. Still I stayed down, waiting for the all-clear. The gunner fired again, raked all the nearby areas, and then came our guys' grenades. Boom, boom, the sweetest sound I'd ever heard. Bart breathed hard now. She thought about getting him a glass of water, but didn't want him to stop. Then I heard the all-clear. I was covered in mud. I yelled to him as I brushed it off. Hey, Colin! Damn close, yeah? Too close. But he never answered. I got up. But he didn't get up. That was it. Bart blinked hard as if he might start to cry. He was the kind of man she'd never expect to cry. Had a tough man feel about him. He was plain-spoken. A bit like Colin in that regard. Nothing too fancy. Kept things close. Simple. He was gone by the time I got to him, said Bart. All shot up. Bart shook his head, the tears forming. His lip trembled. He lay on his front. Legs splayed. His head turned to the side. A look of surprise on his face like he never thought. Bart stared at his hands. But we had more fighting to do, more nests, more ground to cover. Had to keep moving. And then, that night I was hungry, so hungry. I ate before thinking about him. And then I felt ashamed. We'd been together since rookies. He stopped then. Couldn't speak any longer. I'll get you some water, she said. In the kitchen, she cried, standing with her hip against the counter. Her knees locked, her hand gripping the edge so tight. Bart blew his nose in the other room. He drank deeply from the water glass, his eyes red at the edges, but his voice calm. He talked about you all the time. I've heard many stories over and again. I could tell them myself. I may tell them some day, write them down or something. I don't know. He smiled. Thank you for coming, she said. I had to come. We went on to fight the next day and the next, and we'll fight again, the 18th Brigade. We'll help win the war and leave the Army and marry and have kids. But one thing I will never, ever do is forget your calling. That afternoon, she rode her bike on the back roads to the Sydney Harbor Bridge. Car and truck traffic was heavy. She used the pedestrian walkway to stroll to the middle of the bridge and then faced east. Ferries came and went from Circular Quay on the right. Boats carried people and goods from one point to the next. A naval battleship steamed toward the sea. So many people were so busy. The sun had begun to set behind her, taking the edge off of another hot day. Cooler air blew from the ocean. She had sailed under this bridge many times in the early thirties. She imagined Colin lying on a beach, lifeless, his head turned to the side and his eyes wide open. He had never expected to die that day. He had wished to do his duty in return to her, to live out his life working in the countryside. She was glad Bart had come. He had filled in the blank space of Colin's death, Nothing spectacular had brought about his end. He was just another soldier who had done his job and wound up on the wrong side of luck. Colin would like that, if he had to go, to leave as a simple man working side by side with his mates. But her chief question remained, what should she do now? Go back to Tamworth? Return to Darling Downs? Stay here in Sydney? Just keep moving, Colin would have said. You have to work. Work gives life purpose. Otherwise, we're no better than logs waiting to rot. But she had never been one to just keep moving. Work, yes. She had always loved to work. But work was not an end in itself. It had to serve a purpose. The Tamworth driver pool didn't need her any longer, and Tom could manage the farms without her. So she'd find something new. Yes, she would keep moving, keep working. She would stay in the game, to be sure, but she would always play to win. <laughs> My neck aches, says Chris. I sat in front of the computer too long today without stretching. Would you massage it for me? She turns to face away. We're on the front porch sofa. For the past week, we've sat here every night to kiss and hug. It's a big sofa, a little uncomfortable for two to lie down on, but we've managed. Snuggling, caressing, a little fondling, too. She pulls her hair out of the way, and I rub her shoulders and the base of her neck. My palms massage her muscles. My fingers touch the skin above her clavicles. My thumbs knead her back. Oh, sheesh, that feels good, she says. I used to massage Julie this way before we were lovers. She'd sit beside me and turn away. Rub my shoulders, Thomas, she'd say. I love it when you give me a massage. I'd start with a kiss on her neck. Chris turns toward me. Her top two shirt buttons have come undone. Her breasts are full under her bra. She reaches for me, kissing me. Her passion is fierce. I'm immersed in it, the wetness of her lips and the feel of her skin. I pull away. She's breathing hard, her hands on my chest. Let's stop a second, I say. Okay, she says, grinning. What do you want to do next? It seems like every night we go a little further, I say. She nods, still grinning. That's how it's supposed to work. First base, second base, and so forth. My heart slows. My shoulders sag. Her grin disappears. I want to back up some, I say. Back up? What's that mean? I feel like I'm missing out on something. She looks down her shirt front. Yeah, I'd say you're missing out on a lot. I've thought about it all day, tried to fashion the right words, but everything I came up with sounded as stupid as I sound now. I want us to be friends, I say. She places her hand on mine. We are friends, more than friends. And if you keep rubbing my neck like that, we might become lovers. But I don't. I'm not ready. She shrinks a little, but her fingers still rub the backs of my hands, still trying. You remember the story tonight, when Sheila went to the bridge and looked over the harbor? I nod. I know where she's going. She's devastated by Colin's death, but she's going to keep on living. She'll keep moving, one foot in front of the other, one more step. This thing developing between us is one more step for you. It feels good. I want more than friendship, and so do you. But I don't want that. Complications confuse me. They jeopardize my adherence to my vow. Sheila was strong. She kept moving. But I stay where I am. No, I say. I just want to be friends. Puzzled, her eyes linger on my face, and then they close. She does that breathing exercise again, a long, slow inhale through her nose, followed by an even longer exhale. When she opens her eyes again, I see patience. Friends, she says. Just friends. Yes. She buttons her shirt, turns to face forward, and puts her hands on the tops of her thighs. Okay, she says. Sure. Friends. Friends. All right, that's the end of the story, Home, and we've covered a lot of ground. Now, in this story, Sheila met Bart Talbot, one of Colin's mates from the 18th Brigade, and Bart relayed how Colin McKechnie died on the beaches of New Guinea. Now, I got curious about the 18th Brigade, and I I did a little research to find out more about this unit. The 18th Brigade was a real fighting unit. It was formed specifically for the Second World War. They were, they, were, uh, they were raised in October of 1939 and consisted of four battalions, the 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th, and the, 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 the four different battalions were raised in Queensland, South Australia, Tasmania, and Western Australia, respectively. In 1940, the 18th Brigade was sent to England to defend against the expected German invasion, which never happened. Then in 1941, they were sent to the Middle East, where they fought at the Siege of Tobruk and later in Syria. Now, in in 1942, the 18th Brigade returned to Australia to rest, and then they were sent to New Guinea, where they fought at Milne Bay and during the Battle of the Beaches campaign. Now, this, this, the Battle of the Beaches campaign was, was brutal. According to Wikipedia, during the fighting around Buna, the 18th Brigade suffered 425 men killed and more than 800 wounded. And this represented 96% of the brigade's strength at the start of the campaign. Those are devastating losses. Now, the brigade was eventually brought back to Australia replenished with other forces and went on to fight in additional campaigns in new guinea and borneo through to the end of the war after the war the brigade was disbanded in january of 1946. now at the end of the story home sheila is standing on the sydney harbor bridge and this is where she makes the decision that she will carry on just as she knows colin would want her to do and as always she will pursue life with vigor In other words, she will always play to win. Now, in the next episode, we will hear the story, Sean Riker, in which Sheila will become reacquainted with a childhood friend. And we will also learn what is to become of Thomas' relationship with Chris. Now, I'd like to take a moment to promote my writing. If you're enjoying the Sheila stories, please tell your friends. They can subscribe to the podcast, read the stories on my website, or they can find the full set of stories on Amazon. It's fun for me to tell the stories one at a time on the podcast, but I know sometimes it's difficult to follow the ongoing narrative, so I've made the full set of stories available as a novel. If you're one of those folks who likes to read ahead to the end, or if you just want to help out a starving artist like me, this is your big chance. To find the novel, go to Amazon and type The Sheila Stories by Patrick Kelly into the search bar. On today's episode, we had music by Cinemedia and sound effects by Felix Bloom and Zapsplat.com. Thank you, friends. I'll be back soon. Bye now.